Do you have a voice inside you that criticizes everything you do? Can you find compassion for yourself when your internal critic is harsher than what others say about you? Hey, let's talk about it. Welcome to episode 108 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Suzanne, Brooke, Eric, Michelle, and Jessica. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Suzanne, Brooke, Eric, Michelle, and Jessica, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand, as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to this topic of self-compassion and criticism. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be discussion of this topic, self-compassion and criticism. Following a short break, we'll talk about my life in recovery, about how I practice these principles in all my affairs. We'll follow that with your email and voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing. I have a reading. It's from the Daily Reader Hope for Today, page 54. I work as a seamstress. During a recent sewing project, I thought about how similar my sewing is to my progress in recovery. Before al my sewing had to be perfect. Many a time, I ended up not wearing my creation because I was sick and tired of going over it again and again. I'd leave it hanging in the closet and eventually give it away. If I ever did wear anything I made, I was quick to point out its imperfections when anyone gave me a compliment. Since using the tools of al my sewing is much simpler. Using the thread of willingness and asking my higher power to guide my hands, I now enjoy experimenting with fabrics and techniques and even reworking my stitches. I go about this knowing that my garment will not be perfect and that the imperfections make it uniquely mine. I enjoy wearing it, knowing that I learned much in its creation. My material garment and my recovery garment are so very much alike. No longer do I expect to be perfect, and I don't hide away in isolation for fear of having my imperfections discovered. Neither do I so easily give away the precious, vulnerable parts of myself. I wait until I deem the other person trustworthy enough to receive me with love. I don't pre-criticize myself, thinking that it won't hurt so much if I beat somebody else to it. Today, I wear myself and my hand-sewn apparel proudly, knowing that each was created with the willingness, the abilities, and the help with which my higher power blesses me daily. I had a uh, a short uh, chat with Brooke about this topic, so we'll start with that. Hi, I'm talking with Brooke this evening. Hello. Hi, Brooke. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, criticism and self-compassion and self-worth uh, in some mixture. And uh, before we started, uh, Brooke, you were talking about your, your internal critic. Yes. I feel like my internal c- critic has the loudest voice known to humankind mm. and is always is always there. No matter, I could be doing something really well and it's there and I could do, be doing something poorly and it's there even worse. And sometimes I remember when I was a child, 
my parents wouldn't even bother to punish me because I was so hard on myself Wow! that they felt like it was what was the point of even punishing me if I did something wrong or did it got a bad grade because nothing that they could do could ever be as bad as as the what I was putting myself through or the punishment I was doing to myself internally. You know, I have, I have that same voice and my voice also tells me that I'm, I'm not good enough, that I'm a fake. And, uh, and so when somebody uh, criticizes something that I did, it just, it fits in perfectly. It's like, Oh, I'm a fake and you're telling me I'm a fake. So yeah, I agree. I believe you. And that's a, it's a really um, nasty hole to fall into. Mm-hmm. I feel like it, for me, it's even, I feel like when I get criticism, it's, I feel like immediately like a failure, like it counteracts all the good things that I've ever done wow. because there's one thing that, that wasn't done correctly. Mm-hmm. And I just struggle because I know that that's not a very healthy way to live, but I don't think I was ever taught as a child, like compassion for myself or seeing that, that doing something wrong just means I did something wrong, but doesn't mean I'm a bad person. Yeah. Yeah. That's a so, tough one. I'm really working on that. right. Now. One of the things that, that I found interesting sort of looking at my own self-critic is how it reacts when I get praise. And I wonder if you have any experience with that and, and what it feels like to you. You know, I, I've now that I've been reflecting on it, I become very arrogant as if I, and I see this at work, like as if I'm, the best. Nobody could ever be as good as me. Everyone should like pale in comparison to me. And I'm learning that that's, that's not healthy because the flip side is that if I see somebody do something successful, then I can't like just appreciate the other person and be happy for the other person because I immediately turn it around and say to myself, well, why didn't you do that? So it's a very vicious, vicious cycle. And at least now I'm aware. So when when something good happens at work, I try very, I, I don't, I, I don't think I become arrogant anymore because I realize that like, we're all skilled human beings and we're all children of God. So mm-hmm. like, I can't be better than anybody else because everyone has their own special things that make them, make them them. And I also try and say that, you know, if somebody else is doing something very well, that, I'm trying to silence the critic in my mind by saying, well, there'll be good things for you to come to. You just have to, you know, keep, keep your side of the street clean and do your work well or do whatever I'm supposed to be doing well. And, and, um, learning that a higher power will bring positive things into my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things that I had to learn was that if somebody else does something well, that doesn't take away from the things that I've done well. And I, I know I used to feel that way. Like it was a balance. Like if I was, if I did well, then other people didn't do well. And if other people did well, then somehow I was not doing well. Um, and, uh, and you know, the internal critic certainly helps, uh, helps as it were with, uh, with that feeling. What do you do to silence critic? Oh boy. Um, it's tough, you know, and, and, I mean, there's a number of things that both within and, and inside and outside the program that, that have helped with that. And I can, you know, we can, we can come to those, but, um, <laughs> it, <laughs> part of it is just, is 
so my my reaction to when somebody praised me was often to minimize it because I never thought I did as well as they thought I did. And and so uh obviously they were lying, you know, because because I knew that I had screwed up even if I had done done something good. The voice inside me said, "Oh no, you didn't." No. It was a fluke. And so I would have this negative reaction to praise. And so one of the things that that I've done is to accept it, to l- just learn to say thank you. Um, and this is part of the thing we say in the program about acting our way into right thinking rather than trying to think our way into right acting, that if somebody thanks me for doing something, says I did a good job, whatever, if I just say thank you, I don't say, oh, oh, it was nothing, no, really, it's, it's not that much, um, then I feel better about it. It, and it, and that helps me to to move forward into this sort of finding self worth. Um, yeah, it's so ironic or like interesting that you bring that up because it's really hard if I get it. Someone who says something nice, it's really hard for me to to accept the thank you. Like I to, actually, a coworker of mine is applying to graduate school, and she asked me to read her essays. And then today she called me because I, to thank me and to tell me how, how much I helped her. And I just, it's like, I almost couldn't allow myself to feel good about it, even though I took this project on to be of service and do something for somebody else in an attempt to like help build my self-worth and self-esteem. But I just notice in inside my stomach, I feel so uncomfortable when someone tells me, Oh, just thanks me or tells me that really appreciates something I, I've done. And so there's like a disconnect in terms of intellectually what I know that I should be. Yeah, I did do a good job. I did put a lot of effort in this with her. And yeah, and it was hard because she's in Amsterdam and I'm here. And so that required, you know, me to do things late at night for her. And rather than feeling like positive, I get this just uncomfortable feeling but then when it comes to other people, if I think they did a good job at something, at something, I'm like the first person to say that they did a good job. And if they, so it's like, I can give the advice to, I can say it to others and also tell others, you know, you did a good job. You should just own it and enjoy it. But I can't do it with myself. It's like, I'm just much more compassionate to other people than I am to my own, to my own person. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the struggle here, right? How do we find that compassion for ourselves that we have for other people? That compassion that when you know somebody else makes a mistake, we can look at that and say, "Well, you know, that was an honest mistake." Or, mm-hmm. "Yeah, we're all human. We screw up every now and then." And if we do the same thing, um, as somebody in a, in a meeting recently said, said, "You know, I say things to myself that I would never say to another person." Um, and 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 a lot of that for me is is I think not having compassion for my own humanity, for my own fallibility. I just feel like when I was growing up, if I made a mistake, the the ramifications and the rage from my parents would be so great that I was just completely living in fear and scared. Mm-hmm. And so I think I carry that with me, even though. I might know that I'm an adult and, you know, if I make a mistake, the world is not going to collapse and, you know, no one's going to 
be yelling or screaming at me, but I think I'm just preconditioned with that and just inside me. And it takes a really lot, it takes a lot of effort to like change my thinking and not go there in my head Mm -hmm. and not also, you know, subconsciously re-experience those feelings as an adult. It reminds me of um, uh, one of the readings around step six or seven somewhere um, talks about how many of our our shortcomings, our, our character defects, if you will, are uh, things that, that helped us at some point in our lives, things that enabled us to, to survive in, in a chaotic, alcoholic environment, and that now they don't serve us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you were talking about that, I was sort of thinking about how maybe you, you in part learned this behavior to try to, um, as you said at the beginning, sort of short stall your, your parents' reaction when, when you screwed up. If you punished yourself more than, than they would, then they wouldn't, perhaps they wouldn't do it. And, uh, and it's really easy to see how, how that could come forward into your adult life. I don't know. What do you think? I think that's extremely true, and it also makes me have difficult times taking decisions because I I went to a meeting today that discussed a lot about, um, what is it, awareness, acceptance, action, Mm -hmm. and I immediately go from awareness to action, and I skip acceptance Yeah, because I was always just trying to manage everything and make things perfect. And if I didn't know the action, then I would ask because I was so afraid of making a mistake because a mistake was just such a, you know, who knows what, what that would bring in my house that now as an adult at work, I've been told this, that just make the mistake. Like it's okay. You know, just do you're you're responsible. We trust you. If you make a mistake, it's okay. And I really have to, you know, stop and think. And I've been doing that a lot this week to remind myself like, it's okay if I don't figure out what to do next right away. It's okay if I have to stop and think and do some reading and then come back to my desk. And, and it's also okay to take a decision and have that decision not be the right one. Yeah. But I just felt like I, I grew up where everything had to be right and especially right on the outside because on the inside and on the inside of my house, everything was just such a mess. Mm-hmm. You know, we do this thing, we've started doing this thing at, at, at work where when something goes wrong and things do go wrong, um, we, there's a process that has been dubbed a blameless postmortem. And the idea is that we look at what happened, we look at what we did, and we look at what, we try to pull from that what are some sort of systemic failures that led to what happened. And it's not about any one person doing something wrong. It's about fixing, changing things so that it's less likely to happen again. Um, and it's a really different way of looking at when, when things go wrong. It's, but it's also echoes really echoes a lot of what I hear in the program uh, about uh, things being learning experiences. You know, <laughs> if I can, if I can ask, okay, what what can I learn from this? Uh, and for those of us, uh, which is not me, who have um, 
the sort of deterministic God who puts us in situations so we will learn things, you can ask the question, what am I meant to learn from this? I prefer to ask the question, what can I learn from this? And that that helps me to have some compassion for myself, because if I look at this as an opportunity to improve rather than an opportunity to beat myself up, uh, it 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 changes the emotional surround and, and of of what what happened mm. and uh, so when we uh when we were chatting uh before the the call here uh you said you're just moving into step 2 and i found this discovery of a loving higher power which i never i never had to be really really helpful uh in finding my own self-worth and in having compassion for myself and uh, I don't know if you're seeing that in your own life at this point or or not. What do you think? I'm more trying to, or I think I'm more seeing that things seem to work themselves out. Maybe not the way I would work them out, but they're working out in a way that that is okay and it's fine and doesn't damage me or hurt me. It just sort of works itself out. And, you know, I'm just also trying to, one thing that's helping me along with step two is seeing that I like I right now I'm not sure about higher power or not or mm-hmm. God or not, but I do think that there's something about the universe that makes it work the way it does. And I do think, you know, people say things the way they say them or come into your life as part of things that you're supposed to hear. Mm-hmm. So I'm more like, I guess I'm thinking I, I have put in a of prayer and I've been doing that and see what happens and I see through that that I'm gaining a lot of wisdom if I feel like the higher power is speaking to me through other people so I think I feel like I'll get there but I'm also you know I did my my step one it took me like three weeks to do the questions and then I spent an hour on it with my sponsor and then I happened to see her in a meeting this week and she's like, okay, read step two. And I thought, that's too fast. Like, shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't this take me a longer amount of time? Uh-huh. So that's also why I feel like, okay, I don't want to rush through everything. Because that's also what I do when something's difficult. I'll rush through it rather than really taking my time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's see. So you're talking about your sponsor and... Um, you know, again, this finding, finding compassion or, or worth for, of, uh, for myself was, is really, was really helped by the people in the program who just accepted me as I was, who took time for me, uh, you know, that I could call, that I could meet with. And I never, really never felt like I was imposing. I mean, I might not call because I thought I was going to be imposing, but if I did call, I always got this, oh, I'm so glad you called and let's, you know, talk for however long we need to or whatever. And and even if somebody, you know, we had to had to cut it cut it short, it was very clear that it was because of um, you know, other factors, that it wasn't because of me. And that was just sort of a really amazing experience. Have you found any of that at this point? Yes, I have two or three right now very, yeah, I would say they're close friends now. And one thing that my sponsor has asked, has asked me to do is to, you know, get phone numbers and reach out to other people. 
and I've been doing it and I had some things happen, you know, this week and I reached out, my sponsor wasn't available. So I reached out to another, another friend in program and we had just a wonderful conversation and I was really able to deal with things differently. So, uh, you know, it was a bit scary in the beginning, but now I feel completely comfortable. And one thing I did in January, because it t- was taking me a really long time to find a sponsor. Mm-hmm. So I volunteered to chair a meeting. And I actually feel like, yeah, that really helped me to find a sponsor because I also, you know, then you get to know everyone and you have to arrange the speaker. So it pushed me to really get more involved than I was. Yeah. Yeah, I know that. I almost don't want to give up. I, I guess I finish at the end of March. And there's part of me that really doesn't want to give it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's a thing that we also have to learn to do, right? Um, Yeah. Is we receive for a while and then we give for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, And sometimes at the same time, who knows? Mm -hmm. Um, So what might you say to somebody who's maybe newer in the program with you that is, is struggling with this? feeling of almost feeling of, of worthlessness, certainly a feeling that, uh, you know, the, the internal critic, um, what if, what have you learned that, that you would want to pass on to somebody? I think it's important to identify or figure out where that internal critic came from. Like, I think my internal critics are just my parents stuck inside my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it, it's important to think like, would I treat somebody else like this? No. So why would I do this to myself? And to really once, once the person gets into this self critique or goes down the rabbit hole to just stop, think, and then maybe reach out to somebody or read or do, do some writing to just try and, you know, change, just change the dynamic. Because I think, like, especially for me, I, I feel like I just sometimes need to remind myself I'm doing the best I can and I'm doing much better than I was before. And in that, I should just be, be proud of myself, even if I do make, you know, a mistake. And mistakes don't mean that I'm a horrible person. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you so much. Well, I'd like to go back to the reading, um, in particular, uh, and I think echoing some of what Brooke had to say, the, uh, the bit about pre-criticizing myself so it won't hurt so much when somebody else does it. And I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I think that that is, uh, that's part of what's going on with my internal critic is if, if I can say the worst things about me, then whatever somebody else says isn't going to hurt as much. And I want to um, sort of look forward and and about how how Al-Anon has helped me to deal with my internal critic, to deal with my uh, my feelings of of not not self worth, I guess, uh, and not self compassion. The way that I I can beat myself up for things that I've done instead of having compassion for myself as a fallible human being. And in particular, um, I think I want to, uh, well, there's a couple things here. One is, is if I can 
see myself as worthy, if I can have compassion for myself, then I think that makes it easier for me to um, weather criticism because I know inside that, that I am valuable. I know that I am loved. Uh, I know that my higher power at least loves me and, and that maybe I can love myself as well. And I can have, when when somebody criticizes me, I can take that as an opinion. And, you know, and that's what it is. It's their opinion. And it's not necessarily the truth, uh, even if they, they see it that way. And if I have not already, you know, pre-criticized myself, uh, then I don't necessarily find myself in agreement with them. And it's, and it's perhaps easier for me to, uh, to let go of what somebody else has to say. And I also wanted to um, look at how the 12 steps uh, really helped me uh, in both of these aspects, both in finding self-compassion and self-worth and in uh, being less critical of myself and in being less apt to uh, take in and internalize uh, external criticism as as being well it must be true uh, i must be you know a piece of crap because this person said so and you know i i i wrote some notes here and i didn't write anything about step 1 but you know what step 1 tells me here is that I am powerless over other people, and in particular, I'm powerless over their opinion of me. And I don't have to, and in fact, I can't necessarily change their opinion of me. Because the other thing that I'll do is, is when, I, when I get criticized, is I'll get really defensive, and I'll try to convince the person that, that they're wrong. Uh, and, you know, that, that often doesn't work, uh, and and it's not really it's not really helpful uh you know convincing the other person that they're wrong doesn't doesn't help me feel better really uh trying to convince the other person that they're wrong and failing in particular doesn't help me feel better uh so if i can accept that you know their opinion is their opinion and that i don't generally have the power to change their opinion but i don't have to accept it is it's very similar to the way in which I use step one to deal with my loved one's drinking. You know, I accepted that I was powerless over it. I didn't have to like it. I didn't have to accept it, but uh, I couldn't change it. And so, uh, you know, then I can look and say, well, what can I do? And, and what can I do with criticism? Well, I can use the, the rest of the steps on it. And I would start with steps two and three, which remind me that there is a power greater than myself that can help me uh, and that, uh, you know, I have made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of that, to the loving care of that higher power. And that's, that's important, you know, and whether that higher power is, um, you know, God, as you may conceive him, or whether that higher power is people in the program, whether that higher power is, is the meetings that I go to, I always find love and compassion in those meetings. And if other people can have love and compassion for me, and if my higher power can have love and compassion for me, then that helps me to, to start to have some love and compassion for myself. And then we move on to steps four and five. Step four, of course, is the inventory. 
step that searching and fearless moral inventory. And then step five is when uh, I go and confess all my all my wrongs to another person, uh, well, to God, to myself, and to another person. And, you know, coming into the program, those steps looked really scary to me. But what I have found is that first, that together, really together, um, they encourage me to look at myself honestly and fearlessly. Uh, and and there's a synergy here, and it's... it's you know, we talk about how the steps are in the order they're in for a reason, and you should, you know, do step four before you dip, do step five. My experience was and that I worked step four as part of a small group that was that we were all working our way through the steps together. It was it was somewhat more than a step study group, but it wasn't exactly like sponsor sponsee working on the steps together. It was an interesting experience, but working. Step four, sort of, if you will, in lockstep with several other people, really brought me to see that my failings are not unique to me. And also, um, the book that I worked, that we worked the steps through, the Paths to Recovery book, starts out with a set of questions about our character assets. And so, gave me a chance to see that there was good in me before I had to sort of stop and look at the things that I didn't like, the things that I wanted to change. And and so it was sort of a combined step four and five because as I was finding uh, my inventory, I was also sharing it, uh, you know, in a meeting once a week uh, with, with other people. I still think, uh, having done it, uh, having done it again, that there is also real power in the sort of sit down with somebody and go through all of, all of my character defects, all of my shortcomings, uh, in, in one sitting, there's a, there's a lot of power in that. And, and part of it is in the acceptance that I got from the person who was receiving this step from me that, uh, never, never did they say, Oh, that's a horrible thing. Uh, they just would, mostly mostly just sort of nodded and and said uh-huh uh-huh and and maybe asked a couple of questions um to help me maybe uh, get a little deeper but it was all accepting it was all loving and that was that was really really helpful in terms of you know helping to boost my or reduce my sort of negative self-worth feelings uh, to increase my positive self-worth at the same time. That in this loving acceptance of my list of all the horrible things that I thought about myself, uh, you know, I, I found a, a way to start to see that maybe they weren't as horrible as, as my, my internal critic was telling me that they were. And also that you know, by sharing by sharing them, I'm not I'm no longer defined by them. There's, a, there's this, you know the saying that we're only as sick as our secrets. Well, I found that to be true. There was one one uh, incident from my past that I continued to to hide from people that I continued that did not make it onto my first inventory and did not make it onto my second inventory did not make it into my fifth step and. And a few months later, I realized that I really needed to admit to this thing. And so 
I called up the person that had received my fifth step and said, look, I have some more to say. And so uh, we got together and I talked about it. And again, loving acceptance. And the power of that was that this incident no longer has that ability to um, to paralyze me. It no longer has, I'm, I'm no longer, uh, will, will lie awake at night saying, why did you do that? You were so stupid, you idiot. Um, I, I just don't have to use that language with myself anymore. And that's, that's a real blessing. And then we get to, to steps, uh, six, seven, eight, and nine, uh, about becoming ready to have our character defects removed, asking, uh, our higher power to remove them, making a list of, of people we have harmed, and then making amends to those people. And these steps show me that when there are aspects of myself that, that I don't like, that there's a way to change. Um, there's a way to at least find forgiveness for myself for the things that I've done in the past that have hurt other people. And there's a way to to change the behaviors that I have that are not serving me anymore. And that's really powerful. Uh, because I, you know, in the, before I came to Elanon, I know there were times when I didn't like something I was doing and I had no idea how to make a change. Uh, you know, it's sort of the, uh, the American way here is, you know, the new year's resolution. Okay. Right now, starting today, I'm going to live a new life. I'm going to live a new way. I'm going to, you know, exercise every day and I'm going to eat right and I'm going to blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, I talked about that uh, back back around the first of the year. And that never worked for me. And and part of it, I think, is is trying to do too many things at once. But part of it is that it's a very all or nothing uh, sort of harsh way to try to change. And what the program gives me is a way to to do that more gently to first come to acceptance, to come to willingness to change, uh, to then ask for help, to ask for help from my higher power, uh, and to understand that, that change is gradual, that change comes not in my time, but, but in my higher power's time. And also the experience of others who talk about and I have found myself that having found the willingness to change, um, I will start to, I will, I will have opportunities to start to practice new behaviors and that I don't have to change everything all at once that, you know, there will be, if you will, backsliding or there will be progress, you know, progress is slow, sometimes slow, sometimes fast, but it does materialize if I'm willing and, and if I do my part, if I put one foot in front of the other. So knowing that I can change makes it easier to have compassions for the failings that, that I continue to have because I know there's a way out. I'm not, I'm not going to be this way forever. I don't have to be this way forever. And also then making amends to people shows me that I can admit my wrongs and and I'm okay afterwards, and in fact, you know, I often feel better afterwards. And then, you know, moving on to step 10, uh, 
where I continue to take inventory and when I'm wrong, promptly admit it, lets me, as we say, keep my side of the street clean. It lets me not build up new things to to be critical of myself about, to kick myself about, to say, oh, you stupid person, why did you do that? Because I can admit that I did wrong. I can um, make a commitment to, you know, do better, uh, to change. And I can move forward. And I don't let it pile up. I don't have resentments against myself. And I don't have guilt whenever I see somebody that, that I did some wrong to. Because I've, from my perspective at least, I've cleaned it up. They may or may not accept that. Uh, but I've done what I can as far as I know. And and then step 11 uh, continued uh, through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with the uh, God of my understanding gives me this tool. Um, it encourages me to connect more closely to my higher power. And I've also, I think I mentioned um, in a previous episode, I've been reading, reading a book about listening is called uh, the Zen of listening. And one of the, one of the things that uh, the author points out is that very often we're not in the moment. We're thinking about what we're going to do. We're thinking about what we did. We're thinking about what we're going to have for dinner. We're thinking about things that happened five years ago. Um, and we're not paying attention to what's going on around us. And the meditation that's part of step 11 can train me, can help me learn to be more in touch with the moment. And when I'm more in touch with the moment, I'm less likely to be living in the past uh, and resenting myself or, or being angry at myself for something I did. And I'm less likely to be living in the future and being fearful and, and less likely to be, you know, as the reading said, pre-criticizing myself so that when somebody else does, it doesn't hurt so much. And of course, step 12 encourages me to keep on doing this. And, and, uh, you know, that whole, the whole program comes together to help me in, in both sort of both aspects of this. It helps me to be less critical and it helps me to, to learn to love myself because, and I think I already said this, but you know, what I found when I came into the program was that there was, there were all these rooms full of people that, that took me for who I am that seemed to in a very special way, love me unconditionally. And, and from that, I could learn to, to love myself more. I think I want to close just by sort of looking back at my experience about how I came to this program broken and angry and really critical of myself in part because of my inability to deal with the, uh, my loved ones drinking, but also, you know, just all the other things in my life that, that I had to, uh, to kick myself about. And in the rooms, in conversation with, with friends, uh, listening to people sharing, reading the literature, and working the steps, um, I have found a way to feel loved, to feel worthy, and to really mute that, that internal voice that tells me I'm worthless. And I think you could too. 
After a short break, I'll continue with my life and recovery segment where I talk about how I uh, use this program in all aspects of my life. As you might imagine, I was able to find um, a lot of a lot of music uh, relating to this topic of, of self-criticism, even ranging to self-hate, um, and uh, maybe a little bit about self-compassion. Uh, yeah, uh, still gravitating towards those uh, I'm worthless songs, I guess. First one I want to talk about is from Blue October, which uh, we've definitely featured a few times before on this uh, on this show. This one's called Razorblade, and it's got a lot of self-hate. Um, but, you know, there's a little bit of... Um, a little bit of where it came from and a little bit about, hey, maybe there's a way out of here. Here's some lyrics. Yeah, it is you that I remember in that glow and it is you that took my first away from me. It is you I set my standards to to every walk of life. A brief bout with a razor blade cut me. I freaked out thinking people didn't love me. I watched closely as the you I knew forgot me. And letting go, I'm so proud of what I've done, Yeah. I try, I try to let it go. I want to be proud, proud. I want to be proud. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. And, you know... If you want to contribute, uh, you could call in and share a little bit about what's happening in your life, and uh, and we'll add you in here. So it's been actually, I think, a couple of weeks because last week I uh, had an encore episode, and you know, there's been been some practice and acceptance here. Uh, I originally planned to do this episode with um, a co-host who, at the time we had had planned to do it last week wasn't feeling well, and so we postponed it a couple of days, and then I wasn't feeling well, So, and then they were going out of town, so we got the Encore episode. And then this week, uh, they uh, they live in a, in a big city and got caught in traffic and, and weren't able to get home in time to record, and so I decided to go ahead with it myself and just you know accept that that's the way it was, and we'll have that conversation another time, I'm sure. And I know it's, it's, I'm sure that uh, they're disappointed because they were, I know they were looking forward to this topic. It was something that they were, they were dealing with in their lives as, you know, I think many of us are. Um, and uh, I get, I've been, been able to practice uh, quite a bit of sort of self-compassion and trying not to, uh, to do the self-criticism too much. And I tell you, it, it worked recently and, you know, I've got a coworker that 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 really helps. Um, his reaction this afternoon, I realized that um, a, a software change that we had uh, put uh, deployed a couple of days ago was actually destroying data, and you know, it only took two days, so I guess that's a good thing. And my first reaction was, you know, oh, oh, blankety blank, blank. Uh, you know, I really screwed up, and there, there was that voice. That voice was right there. It was telling me, "Oh, you really screwed up." And, and the next, my next reaction was, "Well, I'll just fix it. I won't tell anybody." And again, I know that's not a healthy reaction. Um, I've learned that in this program that that being honest and open about my failings uh, is good for me, and it's good for my relationships with other people. 
And, and so the first thing I did was I, um, what did I do? First thing I did was I rolled back the change that had caused the problem. And then I turned to the, to my coworker and I said, Hey, you know, that, that, uh, that thing we put out a couple of days ago was like, it's, it's destroying data. And, and we actually had sort of a, uh, oh, well, yeah, I know what happened. So I, I said this to him and, uh, and I said, look, and I, you know, I'm already taking steps. Uh, and the next step is to fix the data. And the step after that is to fix the, fix the software so that it doesn't do that anymore. And then yesterday, maybe, uh, one of, one of our coworkers had brought in a huge bowl of, uh, fortune cookies with sort of, uh, work themed fortunes in them. And I, there's gotta be some website out there where you can like send them a list of fortunes and they'll make fortune cookies for you. Cause I, I can't imagine where else these came from. But anyway, I picked up one about, uh, uh, something about how our own failings, uh, lead to, I forget, but it, you know, it just was, I don't remember the exact words and it's at work. So I did put it on my desk. I didn't just throw it away. Uh, and I, and I mentioned it to, to my coworker and he was like, oh yeah, <laughs> so perfect. So perfect. You know, I just grabbed this fortune cookie out of the bowl and it had the, the perfect little saying to remind me that, you know, we all screw up and it's okay. That was sort of the, the, the Im- impact of, of the, uh, the little fortune there. So, you know, even even when I'm not, even when it's not explicitly program, I can still use these principles, and I can still, um, you know, keep keep my life on track and keep my my serenity and keep in balance. And so, you know, I sat down. And I'm like, okay, screwed up. Uh, what do I have to do to fix it? I texted my wife. Said I might be late getting home because I broke something. and I have to fix it. And she was like, okay. Uh, you know, and it just was all so straightforward. And I know there were t- there have been times in the past when I would have been, you know, just hiding it and trying to fix it so nobody knew anything happened and nobody knew anything went wrong and I wouldn't be, you know, recording the problem anywhere and I wouldn't be, um, you know, writing up a description of what happened and, and how we're fixing it and how we're going to prevent it from happening in the future. And all this stuff just happens and it's okay. And that's, that's really sort of amazing to me. Uh, Sunday I was at a meeting. Um, we had a newcomer at the table, so we were uh, reading first step. And uh, there was a guy at the table who'd been, been to a few meetings, uh, a few meetings at that meeting. That sounds weird. He'd been to that meeting a few times already. Uh, he was still relatively new and still, uh, from his shares, still definitely suffering. And he, when he, when it was his turn to share, he said, I'm looking for a sponsor. And so after the meeting, I said, I gave my phone number. I said, call me. He texted me the next day, said, can we talk? It was during the middle of work. I couldn't get away. I was busy all afternoon. I texted him back in the evening, said, yeah, I'm available now. Haven't heard from him since. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's part of the program to reach out to the newcomer who's still suffering. And this guy just at, at, at very least needs somebody to talk to. And I, and I'm trying to put myself out there for that. I also saw a, a sponsee at that meeting that I haven't seen in a while. We talked on the phone. He lives uh, in the next city over. So he normally goes to different meetings. So it was nice to see him too. 
And um, I don't know. Actually, I had two step one meetings in a row because my uh, my step study meeting that, uh, you know, we just go through the 12 steps around and around. Uh, we were around to step one on Saturday morning. So that uh, also, uh, but, you know, that was that was a different sort of a look at step one because we weren't, we weren't doing the sort of first step table thing, the first step, uh, whatever meeting thing where we're focusing on the newcomer. We were all people who had been in the program for a while and we were sort of focusing on what step one means to us right now. What are we powerless over now? And how is, how is that recognition of powerless actually giving us power? And there was some really, there was some really good shares. And, and, uh, you know, one of the things I reflected on was how, I'm actually powerless in it, powerless over my need for the program. And that's kind of, you know, a weird way of putting it, but you know, that there are aspects of me that the program makes better. And when I don't work the program, when I don't go to meetings, when I don't read, when I don't, um, you know, talk to people, when I don't do this podcast, um, those aspects that have been maybe put in check have been reduced have been removed um, by the by the working of the program start to reassert themselves and not so healthy so I don't know that's my thoughts over over my uh, last week or so in recovery and uh, looking forward uh, we've got some uh, some topics coming up I don't know exactly what's next uh, we are going to talk about uh, concept, some of the uh, more of the concepts of service with Akila. Uh, I still actually haven't gotten in touch with her to uh, to arrange a time to do that. Uh, coming up this weekend, I'm going to be busy all weekend, so I'm not sure exactly when the next episode is going to come out. I think since I'm doing this in the middle of the week, we might have uh, uh, two episodes a week and uh, week and a half, two intervals of a week and a half between episodes. Uh, just maybe the way it goes. Uh, because uh, I need to take care of myself. I can't. Uh, if I'm I'm going I'm going to a, a youth conference. Going to be sleeping on the floor in a church and not getting a lot of sleep. And the sleep that I'm going to be getting is going to be not such good quality. And so I'm pretty sure I'm not going to have the energy uh, on Sunday, which is my usual time, to uh, to record a new episode. So we'll see. Uh, but uh, upcoming topics besides the concepts of service, uh, been talking about. Um, caretaking as a topic. Um, and, and I'd love to hear, you know, your thoughts on caretaking, um, your thoughts on being a parent, uh, the, the, if you will, the sober parent in a, in an alcoholic family, or at least the, the one who's not alcoholic. Um, and, uh, and maybe put together an episode with those. So you can, uh, you can call, you want to add your voice to the conversation here, add your voice to the show. You can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Yes, you can call right now because it's a podcast. You can just pause it, and when you start it back up, uh, we'll start right back up where you where you paused. Uh, so call right now, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation directly from your computer. So uh, maybe particularly helpful if you're not in the U.S. and uh, long-distance uh, charges would be um, significant, calling the uh, 734 number. Or if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at com. 
We'd love to hear from you. Uh, please share your experience, strength, and hope for your questions about today's topic of self-compassion and criticism or any of our upcoming topics. And if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, please let us know. Uh, you can find everything you need to know about The Recovery Show at our website, which is therecoveryshow.com. There's uh, notes for each episode, uh, links to the music that I've talked about, and you know you can uh, like YouTube videos or whatever to play it. Uh, and uh, also, uh, you know, I picked I picked out a lot of music, and then I have to winnow it down to the two or three that I actually talk about. And so, there's also uh, I generally try to post a Spotify playlist with uh, all of the songs that I found that I thought might be you know somehow relevant to the topic. So that that could also be fun. And uh, of course, you can uh, you can be a guest host by phone or Skype or other electronic medium. Uh, just email feedback at therecoveryshow.com if you're interested in doing that, like uh, like Brooke did today. And so, you know, there's a lot of options there, right? You can you can leave a short voicemail, you know, two or three minutes. Uh, you can have a short conversation with me of uh, ten to twenty minutes, or you can actually be uh, a co-host for for a whole episode, which generally takes about two hours. So let me know. Okay, we're going to take a short break before uh, dive into the mailbag. And uh, the the second musical selection, um, picked this uh, song from Liz Fair. And, and I have a, a sort of a soft spot in my heart for Liz Fair for a number of reasons. But part of it is that uh, she went to the same college that I went to, although um, maybe a decade or so later. Uh, and this song is called Extraordinary and this is a song about a person who's, who really feels her own self-worth but is still struggling with criticism and sort of, um, you know, definitely connected. And uh, again, some of the lyrics here. I am extraordinary, if you'd ever get to know me. I am extraordinary. I'm just your ordinary, average, everyday, sane, psycho, super goddess. You may not believe in me, but I believe in you, so I still take the trash out. Does that make me too normal for you? An interesting little mix of feelings there. got a few emails uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'm going to start with a comment on the website from Ruth um, about uh, some remarks I made in a previous episode. So, Dear Spencer, I have the feeling that I didn't express myself clearly in my email in regard to the dry drunk topic because you got me all wrong. Due to my own state of non-serenity, two weeks without meetings, I got so much triggered I wanted to express my understanding of that feeling which I had, too, when I started in Al-Anon. Later, I learned, it is not my assignment to determine the mental status of another person. In Al-Anon, I have learned to focus on myself and to talk only about myself. Talking about the dry drunk symptom would mean talking about someone else. So I don't think it is an Al-Anon topic, except for when I talk about how I feel when I miss too many meetings. I agree that directing it to Mark's podcast would work. I think his whole podcast is about how to avoid being dry drunk, which is being miserable and being very close to drink again. The solution is to work the program. Hopefully, I was able to be more precise now. Many greetings, Ruth. And uh, thank you for that clarification, Ruth. And I apologize for uh, getting you wrong. Got a nice email from Suzanne. Uh, She's uh, responding to episode uh, 63, which was about Tradition 3, which uh, had 
me and Wendy in the studio and also some uh, recorded remarks from Ruth. Spencer and Wendy, my commitment this year has been to chair my home group monthly meetings covering traditions. I was not disappointed after listening to this episode and inspired to share. I think 99% of people who enter their first l meeting are petrified. I think everyone's higher power must send a team of angels to carry them through the door. Lol. Every meeting I have attended welcomes people with open arms, recommends that they attend six meetings before they decide if the program is for them, as well as offering them a welcome packet. But one meeting I attended gave out the How Al-Anon Works book to first-timers. By having this book to read when I awoke in the middle of the night, I started really learning about Al-Anon and kept coming back. So in paying it forward, my home group gives this book out to newcomers as well. We are a small group, but our core group feels strongly that this action is an essential service. Many of those newcomers I have seen in other meetings. Often they will come to me and say that my home group meeting and gifting of the book made a real difference. Likewise, your podcasts are making a difference. Keep up the good work. These are tangible acts of service that help break the isolation that so many feel before finding recovery through Al-Anon. Blessings to you, Suzanne. And a short email from Eric. He says, Hi, my name is Eric. I wanted to thank you for this gift. Simply amazing and very well done. I have passed it on to everyone at all my meetings. Congratulations and thank you. And thank you, Eric. And, uh, you know, that's one way that... Uh, you as a listener can support us uh, in this podcast is by telling your friends about it. And, uh, you know, hopefully that supports them too. Got um, an amazing email from Serena. Hi, Spencer. Just a share in response to something you said that hit me so deeply. I had to reach out in gratitude. I'm living overseas as a Peace Corps volunteer and am a voracious podcast consumer. My habit is allowing subscriptions to accumulate, listening to each in big chunks, which sometimes means I'm listening to back episodes, and right now, it's the recovery show. On my trolley ride into the day, I was listening this morning to number 93, Not God. My thoughts wandered around themes from the previous episodes I'd been listening to over the last day or two and what they've been stirring in me, not to mention some intense annoyances I've been struggling with in the past few days, a whirlwind of other people's behaviors over which I have no control but have been allowing to affect me complicated by a sudden torrent of technology issues I'm slowly working to remedy under the weight and stress of my workload. And I think I've injured my foot navigating the poor infrastructure in the city and have yet to visit our doctors about it. Clearly, some self-care is in order, a topic you've also covered around this time period. My attention to episode 93 refocused when you began to speak to your lack of control over your mother's health, triggering memories of the last two years of my father's life as he succumbed to Parkinson's. In addition to the pain and helplessness of watching my father deteriorate physically and mentally, I had just left a wildly dysfunctional marriage and was struggling to put my life back together in the wake of the 2008 economic downturn. A year after leaving my husband, I was still unemployed and semi-homeless and had only just begun to scratch the surface of what I would come to know as recovery. Six years after leaving my husband, my life is unspeakably improved on all levels due in no small part to connecting with the wisdom of Alanon but I digress. Speaking of the difficulty of bearing witness to your mom's ill health immediately transported me to some of the last days I spent with my dad, all the time feeling so helpless and guilty that I couldn't fix things, make them better, or be a hero. My own life was so hard to get together, and I simply had no financial resources to give and very little to offer in time, spirit, or emotion. I did my best to simply be present when I could and help around the house. On occasion, encouraging Jig Dad to move and get fresh air, we went on walks together in the neighborhood. 
I knew these moments were precious, and their meaning and preciousness have only deepened with time. When you spoke to not being able to fix your mom's health, a picture I took of my father one afternoon on one of these walks flashed so clearly through my mind. It was like I was holding the picture in my hand right before my eyes. And I simultaneously recalled a quote I saw and liked a day or two ago on Facebook. Sometimes you will never know the value of a moment until it becomes a memory. Dr. Seuss. Not just a great quote, but especially meaningful to me as a lifelong Dr. Seuss fan. My face grew warm and tight as a few elephant tears squeezed out of my eyes and plopped into my lap, recalling the helplessness I felt in so many areas of my life at that time, and feeling the sting of my father's absence. Dad was a cornucopia of random facts and knowledge, and I learned that afternoon how much he knew about flora as we strolled through the neighborhood and he told me about all the neighbor's flowers. I snapped a picture of this precious moment, not realizing just how unique a moment in time and in his life I captured. And now I sit in my favorite expat coffee shop, late for the tutoring appointment that my tutor didn't show up for because it was poorly coordinated on my end due to a barrage of technical difficulties, sniffing and blotting the tears and snot pushing their way out of my face against my will, and trying to breathe through the pain and joy of losing my father and recalling his memory. Missing my tutoring appointment has opened space for me to do something I clearly needed to do, Stop, breathe, reflect, gain different perspective, and express gratitude for something. Thanks for your podcast. It provides general reminders and topic-specific guidance on my own path to serenity. Keep up the great work. Cheers, Serena. And and thank you so much for that that share, Serena. And uh, you know, it makes me think about how I spend the time that I have with my mother and how I might... Uh, Make those more precious. Thank you. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses that run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Suzanne, Brooke, Eric, Michelle, and Jessica did. And thank you again, all of you, for those generous contributions over the last couple of weeks. We have put together a list of recovery-related books, Click on the books link at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of these links or on the Donate by Shopping link will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening to us. We are here for you. And the uh, the last song selection that I chose for this episode is by Mary J. Blige. It's called Take Me As I Am. And here's some lyrics that I think um, are pretty speak pretty well to um, the topic of being compassionate for yourself and finding some self-worth. She's been down and out. She's been wrote about. She's been talked about constantly. She's been up and down. She's been pushed around, but they held her down, NYC. She has no regrets. She accepts the past. All these things, they helped make her she... She's been lost and found, and she's still around. There's a reason for everything. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.